All right, thank you. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, uh, Taylor. And, and just to harp on this, she does this all around the country, and we're honored that she's a part of our church family here, and I've been begging her for, to allow us the privilege of hosting, so there will be ladies from all over the city to, to join you. So I'm going to up the ante. If you're a lady here and you want to go, and finances are honestly a challenge. Now, if you have a $6 latte three times a day, finances aren't a challenge. Discipline is. But if... But if, if <laughs> sorry, that's male or female. You shouldn't spend $20 on drinks every day. Come on, people. But if finances are honestly a challenge, that, there's no shame in this. It's why we all give generously. So we are going to sponsor every lady here as part of this church who wants to go and finances are a challenge. So just email, do the right thing. Do it at uh, hello at BibleEquipping.org or go hello at 26WestChurch.org and just say, I'd love to attend the conference and, and uh, it will be covered, all right? I want you to grow in knowing the word of God. And if I offended you about the latte thing, get over it. All right. You're feeling conviction from the Spirit. <laughs> Lord, we love you. We thank you that your word is already alive and you've breathed the breath of life into our lungs. So we're living because of you and your word is living, active. It's sharp. It equips. It breaks through the lies. And so God, we're inviting your breath, your, your God-breathed words to now alter the way that we think and that we feel and that we live because we love you, Jesus, and we want your life to now flow through our life so that we will know you better and the world will love you. And so God, transform us in the renewing of our minds so that we'll know the good, pleasing, perfect will that you have for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Everybody sit. Amen. You have your guide. I hope you're going to use it this week because today's discussion is going to be super duper helpful. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. This is a conversation that is going to be good over the next seven weeks. If you're new, we are in a series in 1 Corinthians and we've hit chapter 5 and we look at chapters 5, 6, and 7 and really think about these big picture worldview questions that we are given in the Bible. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to watch it or listen because I'm going to build on what we talked about. Well, we'll start with uh, three key questions I want us to address today and in the weeks to come. They're going to guide the, the content that we're going to go through. Three questions. How do we live out the weight of Jesus together as a church when it comes to human sexuality, really? When a Jesus follower steps out of bounds of scripture, what do we do? And this, like for the larger scheme of things, how do we live out the biblical worldview in a world saturated with all sorts of competing views? So last week I mentioned at the end of chapter four that worldview matters. I'm going to throw up a definition of worldview again. A worldview is a web of habit-forming beliefs about the biggest questions of life that helps you make sense of your experience. Everyone already has a worldview. So um, is there a God? Does God exist? That's part of your worldview. How did the world begin? How did the human race begin? That's part of your worldview. What's wrong with the world? How do you fix it? How do I live the good life? Where do I go after this life is over? All of those are questions you already have answers to. You just don't realize you have answers to, but your answers to life's biggest questions informs how you live. If you didn't have a worldview, you couldn't make sense of all the chaos. 
The question is, are we growing as Jesus followers in a worldview that is informed by the Bible? The Bible is the word of God. It's not a suggestion for life. The scriptures are God-breathed, and God has given us the healthy way to see the world. And it begins with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created everything. So if that is true that God is the initiator of all life, God created, if you don't start with that, what I'm going to say over the next seven weeks and others on our team is not going to make sense. But a biblical worldview begins at the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of God's revelation. And God starts with letting us know that he is and he creates. And he said it was good. Now, I'm just so proud of being a part of this church family. Last week, we said, throw up your questions, please. We want to hear these questions in your community group. And your community group leader will, will pass them on to our leadership team. And we're going to answer many of your questions. And I'm just so proud because immediately the floodgate has, has been opened. And you're asking great questions. Church ought to be the place where you ask the big questions in life. And you don't feel ashamed about it. You're happy about it. This is the place where we talk about things that really matter. So I'm going to get to, and our team's going to get to a lot of these questions. And just like I said last week, some of them Sunday morning, some of them on our additional podcast that we have. We have a teaching podcast. Whatever said here goes up on it. We have a separate one called the Life in Jesus podcast. Please subscribe to it because some of the questions are so detail-oriented that they require longer discussion and we'll, we'll do those on that podcast. Others will be in our weekly that we'll send out. Here's some recommended resources for some long questions that you really need to wrestle with. I encourage you to watch this or see this or read that. So that's, that's where we're headed. Every question will not be answered here on a Sunday morning, but we'll get to every one that we can. Now, because this is a long discussion, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask that you be mature, okay? And that you... Listen, watch, think about the entire series. Because we can't do everything in one week. What's going to happen is there are going to be cliffhangers, not on purpose, but some unanswered questions that will be addressed the next week or two weeks or three weeks. Or when you pose a question, it'll be done in a, a long-form podcast. So when we think about a biblical worldview, we don't, we don't stop when I don't like what someone says about one part of one question. I listen to the whole thing. Hear the whole thing out. When in doubt, watch and listen again because what you hear may not be clear yet. You may need to listen or watch twice because something was said so quickly, your mind went racing and you might come to a conclusion that is, that is not in alignment with what was actually said, okay? So watch the whole thing. And here's where we're headed. I'm going to give you an overview so you're not surprised. Today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at the major themes. We're going to focus on the text. Next week, we're going to, uh, because chapters 5, 6, and 7 all address a lot of these topics, we're going, to, we're going to highlight God's vision for gender and marriage. And it will be launching from 1 Corinthians 5, but looking at a biblical overview. What does the Bible have to say about gender and about marriage and about relationship? And I'm going to read a statement that reflects 
a worldview that is biblically informed, a Christian worldview on gender and marriage that our church upholds, and it's the platform by which we think and teach, and it's based on scripture. That will happen next week. And then we're going to, after looking at the good in God's vision, we're going to look at the breakdown the next week uh, on what is sexual immorality. If we know what's right, what is gone wrong, and, and how can we grow and go with God's vision instead of our own vision, and how do we respond when we see things that are out of alignment? The next week, everyone and their mother will be here for a conversation on LGBTQ+, and, 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 and the questions, and the reason we're going through this in detail is because this is, isn't actually the major focus of the letter. We're only zooming in on these because it is the cultural question of our day. And so we're going to spend some extra time, even though there aren't a lot of verses here, it is the question that everyone's asking, and here's the challenge, and this is what, this has probably happened. Some of you love Jesus, follow Jesus, but you haven't thought through your worldview yet, and you've never been forced to, until someone in the workplace, or in school, or a family member starts to ask questions that we say like, I actually don't know the answer. And I have an answer, but I don't know if my answer is in line with the Bible. So this is good. This is not a guilt trip. This is going to be a good conversation so that we can have great, loving, friendly, charitable conversations with people of all sorts of views, not scared and not mean. Or said another way, not mean. And not mean. And then we're going to look, I've given three weeks for all sorts of questions, and I don't know what they will be yet. You will drive that. But we're going to go through some specifics, and some of that will not feel like a Bible teaching. It'll all be grounded in Scripture, but we have to wrestle with this together. I can guarantee you, some of the things that you hear are going to really challenge you in deep places. Don't quickly throw it away because it's new or it's different or it's offensive. Just don't, I'm just saying don't throw it away yet. Because if it's right and true and from God, I want to wrestle with it and I want to let God inform me. In the beginning, you did not create the heavens and the earth, nor did I. A biblical worldview starts with God, the creator, the author, and so I, I want to wrestle with God on matters that really matter. All right, let's go through 1 Corinthians 5, read the whole thing, and then we're going to tease out three, I think, helpful framework principles that address the first three questions that I put on. How do we follow Jesus with sexual questions, really? And uh, the, the questions we started with, we'll get to, but first let's read the text. All right, breathe deep, here we go. 1 Corinthians 5. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even the pagans don't tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. You are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? For my part, even though, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who's present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. So, 
When you're assembled, I'm with you in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus is present. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Don't get thrown off yet. We're going to come back to that. So that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leaven, uh, a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be new unleavened batch as you really are. Some of you are already lost. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He starts with the question and he goes to the Bible. We'll get back to why this Bible passage matters. Okay, therefore, let us keep the festival. Again, a Bible reference. Not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, Bible reference. But with the unleavened breath, uh, bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but a sexually immoral, which is the one that you are stumbling with, maybe, or greedy, which is everyone of which I'm the chief sinner. An idolater, slander, drunkard, swindler. Do not even eat with such people. That sounds harsh, but we'll get back to that. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Well, I thought Jesus said, don't judge anyone. I'm confused. You're not alone. God will judge those outside, quote unquote, expel the wicked person from among you. Okay, right. You read this before, and you're like, this is in the Bible? Yes, it is. Now, here's what we need to do. We need to whatever. <laughs> Ladies, you just need to go to learn it. Give it. And you'll learn how yourself, how you, can, how you can take the Bible and get a proper understanding of it. Well, you have to remember, what is, what is Paul writing here? He's writing a letter. Okay, that's important. This is a letter. Um, where does this fit in the story so far, we need to ask ourselves. Well, he's been talking about disunity. In the first four chapters, he's been talking about how the church is being broken up into factions, and some are saying, I follow and I follow. We need to keep a unity in our family because we are a united witness to the world. And in chapters one through six, he's writing about things he's heard about them. You're disjointed, you're disunited, you're fractured. No, we need to come together. And then he's going to slide over to one particular area like where they're not united in a good way. What do we do when people who claim to be in the family of God live in a way that's in opposition to the Bible? And so he addresses it. That's up to chapter six. And then in chapter seven, they've written him a letter and they had all sorts of questions and he answers them. So I'm stepping into somebody's mail. Okay, I don't recommend it. It's illegal to go in someone's mailbox and take their mail. Don't do that. It's against the law. But if you're reading someone else's correspondence, you can easily misunderstand because you don't know the relationship. So just remember, our first task here is to understand what did this mean to the church at Corinth? This is written for our good, but it wasn't written to you. It was written to them. First thing I need to do is before I say, whoa, I need to go, what was happening there? 
And what did it mean to them? Then I'm in a place to, to understand and apply if there's something applicable for us today. Remember, this is not just a letter to Corinth. This is a, the word of God. So this is a letter to you. But if I don't understand what it meant to them, I'm not going to rightly apply it to us. And some things, this is where we have gotten thrown off. And I want to offer some hopeful principles to think through this, maybe even differently than you've thought about it before. Okay, three principles that we're going to go through. The first one answers the first question I asked. I asked, like, how do you live out the way of Jesus? How do we live out the way of Jesus together as a church when it comes to to human sexuality? Really, how do we do this? Number one, write this down. We learn the scriptures and apply them to all of life. Like I said, when I read it, what Paul does is he, he looks at the situation they're going through and he brings the Bible to bear to their situation. So it reminds us, if we're a Jesus follower, my understanding of a rightful answer to any question ought to begin with, what does God say about it? How do I know what God says about it? I look at the scriptures because all scriptures, God breathed and useful, which is going to be challenging because I'm going to come at it with my understanding and the Bible, my friend's understanding and the Bible, all sorts of opinions, all sorts of trends and the Bible. But if we're going to come and live under the way of Jesus, I am saying, Jesus, what you say is what I will hear and what I will live and what I will believe. So the foundation for Christian living is the Bible, not traditions or trends, even though they matter. So I ought to be asking, what does God have to say about this in the scriptures? Which is why in verse one, he says, it's actually reported that there's immorality among you of a kind that even the pagans don't tolerate. And he specifically reminds them what this is a man sleeping with his father's wife. Now, Paul hasn't mentioned the guy's name in the letter Y. This is a church of 75 to 150 max. Everybody knows who's, everybody knows. This is a letter to a real church. They all know who this is. And he doesn't give a lot of detail. He doesn't have to, because they all know what's going on. All Paul says, says is, you guys think I don't know what's going on in the church. It's actually made its way back to me, what you're allowing And here, very specifically, we don't know all the details, but we know that there's someone who has an inappropriate relationship with his stepmother, is what we think. Now, dad may still be alive. That would be like crazy. Dad may have passed away. That would be crazy. His stepmom, and now he have a relationship. And here's what we know, because he tells us. Um, The Bible doesn't allow for this. And the culture at large Even in Roman culture, this kind of relationship was seen as out of bounds. So this is not like he did something and, well, that's kind of okay. This is something that's offensive to the culture and goes against the Bible. You say it goes against the Bible? I'll just quote two passages. Leviticus 18.8, some of your favorite verses. Don't have a relationship with your father's wife. That would dishonor your father. Deuteronomy 22.30 says the same thing. A man is not to marry his father's wife. He must not dishonor his father's bed. In other words, um, the church is overlooking the clear teaching of Scripture. But hear me, that's not primarily what this is about. I said it last week. The primary emphasis of chapter 5 is not the person or the situation. It's actually the community. Verse 2. You are proud, says the whole group. 
Shouldn't you have gone in the morning and have put out a fellowship? The man who's been doing this, they were silent. They were not addressing a relationship with someone in the church who is worshiping, taking communion, praying, hearing the scriptures, living as a Jesus follower, but whose lifestyle is in opposition to the Bible. And in this particular case, it was like slam dunk. Not only is the Bible against this, even the culture at large was repulsed by this. And so we, we need to learn the scriptures and apply them to all of life. So application. Being a part of the family of God matters. And if you choose to follow the way of Jesus, you're entering into a global family that follows the way of Jesus. And so uh, this isn't like optional. I love Jesus, but I don't know if I'm going to follow his teaching as given in the Bible. It's just not an option. You're following a spiritual path, but you're actually not following the way of Jesus because Jesus said it clearly. If you love me, if you love me, you will obey my teaching. To obey him is to love him. You cannot say that you are radically in love and following the way of the Lord and disregarding everything that God has said. And by the way, Jesus affirmed the scriptures 150%. He never, he just interpreted them rightly. So when Jesus says, you've heard it said, now I say to you, all Jesus is doing is bringing the scriptures to their full light and application. Okay. So we learn the scriptures and apply them to all of life. Second thing builds on that. We make room in our lives for correction and discipline. How's that one? Following the way of Jesus and being a part of a church, this is what chapter five is about, is, is you're a part of a family. You don't just belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus and you now have brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, so to speak. You, you're a part of something that God has breathed life into. Unfortunately, in our day and in our culture, we make light of our connection to the body of Christ, to the church. And we, we treat the church like low-grade used clothing. When it no longer suits me, I throw it out or I thrift. I'll find new clothes. Unfortunately, as you read the Bible, if you go to learn it, give it, you'll get this that it is the picture that we see in the first part of the story in the Old Testament about the people of God as being a united family in a world that is living in opposition to God. We're, we're called to live as a distinct community. And that really mattered. And so what you see in the first part of the Bible really speaks to what the church is. And the church is God's global family. And if you choose to follow Jesus, you, can I say it nicely? You don't have the right to jettison the church. You've, you've chosen to follow Jesus, the king, in his kingdom. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm building my church. So that means we have to make room in our lives for correction and discipline. Verse three, for my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. In other words, everything I've taught you applies when dad's out of the room. <laughs> it's like when mom, dad leave the house, like the rules go out the window. No, the rules still apply. That's what he's literally saying. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord. I've already seen this situation rightly. I have read the Bible. 
I know what's going on. And I know that that relationship in the church, it's not supposed to happen. And, and, and for some reason, you guys don't see that. Verse four, so when you're assembled, <laughs> and I'm with you in spirit, I'm there. I'm teaching the truth. And the power of our Lord Jesus is present. When we're gathered in his name, he's working. So if you think this is just a show with a few songs and a message and a donut, no, no, no. When we are together, the Lord Jesus, who's given you and me his Holy Spirit living inside of every one of us who follow Jesus, when we are together worshiping him, he is present, extending grace and mercy and love and care. It's why I can say one line and it will hit 300 people in 300 unique ways. It's not because the person speaking has gifts. It's because the power of God is here to apply truth to your soul. And so you can receive something totally different with the same sentence. Why? The power of Jesus is present. And so he says, tough words, hand this person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day. I'm going to get to that in a minute. In a minute. Can we all agree that sounds really harsh? <laughs> okay. Just know this. It's supposed to sound that way. It's supposed to sound harsh. Because they should have been mature enough in the Lord to actually work through this situation themselves. But he has to come hard to say like, look, this sinful relationship with one couple is going to negatively impact the whole church. And ignoring this kind of behavior and overlooking it is opposition to the scriptures. If you say you love Jesus, you follow his ways. Well, then why would you ignore this? And by the way, his motivation is not the church. His motivation is the city. You represent Jesus to the city. And if you just ignore this, what does it say about following the way of Jesus? So we don't, as a church, turn a blind eye, and we don't loving, we have to call this lovingly to the person and people involved to follow Jesus in his way. But I think the best explanation, because you know, some of you are saying, like, hand this man over to Satan, what, what do I do with this? He's using language that's biblically laced, and we're so far from the Bible that sometimes we don't get it. There's, there's the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God, and that's good. Would you agree? Where the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God is good. But outside of where God is leading people who will follow him, you have the work of the enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. So in one sense, you could say there's inside and there's outside. And inside of the family and the kingdom of God, there's life and light and love. And outside, there's brokenness and destruction. And so he's pulling on this metaphor. He says in the next verses what he means by hand this person over. Verse six, your boasting isn't good. Don't you know a little yeast leavens or grows the whole batch of dough? And then a Bible reference. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened patch as you already or really are. He's referring to Exodus 12 and the biggest event in the people of God, the Passover and the Exodus out of slavery. I don't have time to get all of it, but I would encourage you to read Exodus 12. 
And what happens here is as they celebrate the Passover, they're supposed to, before they celebrate God's great salvation and deliverance, take any yeast that's in the house and remove it outside because yeast grows things. So before you remember God's great deliverance, something must be removed out so that you can celebrate in a holy, pure way in. It's symbolic, but it speaks to something. By the time that they're hearing this, everyone would have known that, that leaven or yeast would represent wickedness or evil. They would have known it. We just, it's new to our ears. So in, in a real sense, he's saying, just like when God's people before came to worship and celebrate his great deliverance, which now he's saying is in and through Jesus, not the Passover lamb. That was a picture leading to Jesus. Now that Jesus has really set us free, the same principle applies that as we come and celebrate his great deliverance, what we need to do is first be mindful of the wicked or the evil that so easily comes into our lives. And we need to put that out so that we can worship Jesus in a pure way. Therefore, verse eight, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leaven with malice and wickedness. Like I said, the yeast, the leaven was symbolic of this sin or evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so they would make bread that was without yeast, without leaven, inside, outside, good, evil. That's the picture. A helpful quote from one of the commentators, uh, Richard Hayes, on this. It's a long one, so maybe take a photo and reflect on it later. The blood of the lamb on the, on the doorposts of the houses mark Israel out as a distinct people under God's protection, spared from the power of destruction at work in the world outside. In the same way Paul's metaphor suggests, the blood of Christ marks the Corinthians as a distinct people. The image provides an explanation for Paul's directive of expulsion. Keep it on that slide for a moment. I just want you to not miss this. As the blood of the innocent, pure lamb was put on the doorposts and God's people on the inside, they reminded themselves God saves. His sacrifice is what saves us, not ourselves. In the same way, when we worship, we're remembering Jesus, his blood on the tree is what really saves. So their symbolic act of removing yeast was saying, we want evil wickedness removed so we can experience God's freedom and salvation. Change the slide. Allowing the offender to remain in the church will contaminate the whole community, which is conceived as a single lump of dough. When Paul says, clean out the old leaven, he's not telling the individuals at Corinth, clean up your individual lives. No, he's repeating the symbolic language, the instructions of verses two to five, to purify the community by expelling the offender. So he is saying, if this person knows the truth and you've shared what the Bible says and they continue to say, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, leave me alone, I'm gonna do whatever I want to do. You can't keep that within the community and not deal with it and pretend that the Lord is going to be pleased with your worship because to love him is to obey his commands. So this isn't about any flippant little thing. But when the leadership of a community realizes this person, and in this case, 
Maybe they've already been spoken to you. Maybe this has been a long time coming. If they refuse to repent, then the church must lovingly say, this is not right. What's the application? We're to correct those inside the faith concerning obedience to the scriptures. That's part of following Jesus. So if you choose to follow the way of Jesus, you can't jettison his people. You become a part of the body that belongs to the Messiah. He is in you and you are in him. But you are, it's not just you and Jesus, it's we and Jesus. You can't jettison the family. So we're a part of it. And because we're united to Jesus, we can't simply say that we could do whatever we want and have no consequence. It sounds American, it's just not biblical. So we have to speak to our culture that says, you're the center of the universe, you do you, I do me, you make the rules for you. And that sounds great, and that's the way the culture's going. But I don't just belong to America, I belong to Jesus. So I am a city within a city. We live in Portland or Hillsborough or Beaverton, but we also belong to the global family of God. So we have different vision and different values. Now, there are points within a church body where the leadership must address a situation that is out of alignment. Now, here's the clarifier. This is not an excuse for everyone to point the finger at everyone else and become legalistic because, you know, I can't believe she wore, you know, something up to here and almost showed her kneecap. Therefore, I must expel her from the gathering space because she's wearing something inappropriate in the presence of God. That's not what this is talking about. Uh, this is actually talking about something where it's so obvious if you let that person say they follow Jesus and continue this behavior, other people who are learning to follow Jesus will be confused because this is so out of alignment. And if right is right and wrong is wrong, why would God's people ignore this? And this has happened in our church before. There's the situation um, where a couple was in the process of getting a divorce here in our church. And we pleaded and worked with and tried to see if there could be a restoration of the marriage. And for a long story, they, they were not willing to go forward. The wife, though, however, started dating a guy and, and started bringing him to the Sunday gatherings. So you have a couple that is actually married, but the wife, who is, they're not yet divorced, is bringing her boyfriend to this gathering. And he is trying to worship Jesus, and we're trying to work towards reconciliation. And mind you, they're legally married. So the elders had to gently approach her and say, you, you should not, and here's why, and you cannot bring your boyfriend here when your husband is worshiping here and we're pleading for reconciliation. It's just inconsistent and it will confuse every young person who's trying to follow the way of Jesus when you're living in a way that's just, now again, this, this level of hand this person over to the outside is something that you deal with somberly, carefully, slowly, and by the leaders in a church. And you plead and you cry and you weep over it. This is not Christians saying, I can't believe I saw you do this. And then everyone finger pointing. That's not what he's saying. And the goal is never to punish people. The goal is restoration. The goal is that they would see the sinfulness of their sin and plead to God for mercy and would be welcomed back. If you read 2 Corinthians, you realize they actually do what he says and they did it too well. 
And they kick him out. And they won't welcome him back. And he has to say to the same people, hey, he's in the good. Welcome your brother back. So again, this is not about punishment. The goal is repentance. Does that make sense? All right, here's a third one. And I want to answer one of your questions. And we want to respond in worship. So we learn the scriptures and apply them to all of life. We make room in our lives for correction and discipline. Third thing, we treat those outside of the Jesus family differently. And that's why I spent all this time about the outside and the inside. The Passover was showing that this is a group of people who belong to God distinct. They're inside where the presence of God dwells, but there is life outside. And so we are called to live and share the good news of Jesus to people not expecting those outside of the faith to live according to a biblical worldview. I'm going to repeat that much slower. I would recommend you writing it. We are called to live and share the good news of Jesus to people, not expecting people outside of the faith to live according to a biblical worldview. And this is going to be the hard one. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexual immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are outside of the church, who are immoral or greedy swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you have to leave the whole world. And he ends in verse 12. I love this. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are, are you not to... Judge and judges mean finger point and bring correction and truth. Are you not to bring correction and truth and discipline to those inside? God will judge those outside. So when someone says they're following Jesus and that their allegiance is to Jesus, we have a responsibility as God's people to look at the truth, lovingly present the truth, extend grace and mercy, call for repentance. And if someone refuses to change, then we have to bring the leaders of the church together and say, listen, for these reasons, I just think what you're doing is so out of alignment with the way of Jesus. And we're, I'm pleading with you to please consider the scriptures and live them. But if not, if you so resist the truth, until you do, there's a, look, we, we love you, but you, you cannot be here and pretend this isn't real. And again, this is done lovingly and carefully. But in the end, we genuinely want people to love and follow Jesus. That's the role of a Jesus follower. We genuinely want people to love and follow Jesus. So I hope you've heard something this morning. Holding a biblical worldview around sexuality and ethics doesn't mean we expect the culture to model the way of Jesus. I just want, I want that to sit in and sink in. Here's the unique challenge we have in our present generation. Some of you are old enough to know when our cultural norm was closer to a biblical worldview. Would you agree? It was. And now it has slid away from a biblical worldview. So we say we need to get things back to the way they used to be. Wouldn't it be great if everyone held a biblical worldview? Well, let me nuance this. Wouldn't it be great if people actually were rescued by Jesus? 
and follow Jesus. Because apart from following Jesus and receiving his grace and mercy and a new heart and the Holy Spirit and God's power and presence, a biblical worldview without Jesus is meaningless. It's nice. The culture's nice. People are nice. But no closer to the presence of God. What people need is to follow Jesus. So it's my responsibility as a Jesus follower to hold Jesus' people together to honor the word of God and live out a biblical worldview. And it is not my role to expect those outside of the Christian faith to live like Christians. This might sound so obvious. I'm dealing with multiple generations right now. The younger you are, the more you're like, duh, move on. I don't expect anyone to do anything. There's, there's trouble with that. I'm just gonna say, there's, there's, if, you, if you take that to its logical conclusion, you're gonna find yourself in trouble. But I'm also speaking to generations over here who are like, we need to take America back to the place where it used to be, where everyone went to church on Sunday and we all held the Ten Commandments and that's never happened. <laughs> yes, maybe more people went to a building. It doesn't mean they're actually following Jesus. I want people to actually be born again. My heart is for people to be made new by God, not just hold a biblical world view. Okay. Now, I'm gonna, you have to hear the whole thing. You've got to hear all seven weeks. I'm going to answer one question in part, and then we're going to pick up on this question next week when we look at gender and marriage. All right. This is someone's question. If it's yours, just smile. I quoted you without your name because I don't know who you are. By the way, if you submit a question, I will not get the name. I won't know you asked. I'm just given the question. Quote, I have a question related to individuals who are transitioning from one gender to another and have changed their name. Continuing to use the previous name seems, in brackets, like against their wishes, it seems unloving. But using their new name could imply that I agree with their decision. This is just bigger than a name. How do we balance truth and grace? <laughs> I received this question at least nine or ten times this week. Various wordings, but basically. How many would agree that this is an important question? It's really, really matters. Okay. This is going long, but we need to go long sometimes because this, look, we're going to apply all three questions that had to do with 1 Corinthians 5. We're going to apply them. So we're going to put the questions back on the screen. We learn the scriptures and apply them to all of life. So what do the scriptures clearly teach about a gender transition and a change of names? Some things in the Bible are clear. Others, it takes time to see a different scenario that is similar but not precise and apply it. You're not going to find a chapter and verse on gender transitioning. You're not going to find it. Good luck trying. But we can answer all of life's questions through the scriptures. All of them. We have to get to the nuance of the specific question, but we can answer all of them because God's given us everything we need to follow him and every question that matters, we can come to a biblical principle and understanding. So all I have to do is look to Jesus. So I'm going to do this very quickly. I look at the life of Jesus. Do I see Jesus? How do I see Jesus interacting with people who are living against God's way or differently than the ways of Scripture? How does Jesus interact with them? Well, I got the um, 
the woman at the well, John chapter 4. Everyone in her culture avoids her. She's, she's drawing water at the middle of the day, which is hot, because no one will be with her because of her present lifestyle. And Jesus shocks her by saying, I want to sit with you and have a drink. Jesus is shocking. His disciples, read John 4, are shocked. What is the rabbi doing talking to this lady? He breaks every social norm to hear her story and ask good questions. And Jesus, in answering her questions, brings in a biblical worldview lovingly. So much so that in the end, come meet this guy. He just told me about my whole life. She is the window to the whole town hearing the good news. Is she living God's way when Jesus talks with her? No. Same thing in uh, Luke 19, I think it is, um, Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus was a tiny little man, a little tiny little man was he, you know? And so Zacchaeus, Jesus says to him, hey, Zach, I need to enter your house. And the crowd goes, to eat in the house of someone who is blatantly sinning is a shame if you're a godly person because by eating with them, you are saying you receive them as a friend. That's why Jesus was called a friend of sinners. In the middle of dinner with Zach and his heathen friends, Zacchaeus stands up and says, right here, I repent. Does Jesus eat a meal with him before he has a change of heart or after? Before. So I can look at the Bible, I can look at the life of Jesus, and I can apply it to all of life. He does not, he does not shame her. Now, Jesus always lives in the right with God. He doesn't participate in any evil behavior. He has no problem standing with someone who's out of alignment with the way of God and genuinely care for them. Okay, second thing, we make room in our lives for correction or discipline. So before I answer fully this question, or partly, because we'll get to it again next week, I want to ask myself, do I really care about this person, the person who asked the question? Do you really care about them? Really? Because there's a big difference between an intellectual question and a loving question. If you don't care about the person, you could be right and do wrong. Do you really care about what's going on in this person's life? I should also ask myself, am I going out of my way to love this person as Jesus would? Before we get to how we answer gender change and name change, I should be asking myself, am I going out of my way to love them as Jesus would? And then I should ask myself, what prejudices am I holding that I need Jesus to address? I, I, before I'm thinking about my behavior towards someone else, I'm asking God to expose my own biases or my own heart. So I make room in my life because I belong to Jesus for correction and discipline. And then the third reminder, we are to treat those outside of Jesus family differently. So we're called to love and share the good news. We're not going to expect people who are outside of the faith to live with a biblical uh, worldview. 
So here's what I need to do in answering this question. I need to ask myself, is this person even claiming to follow the way of Jesus? Because that's where it begins. And depending on the answer to that, I may have two different approaches based on how they answer that question. If you're not a Jesus follower, I'm not going to expect you to live as a Jesus follower. I'm actually not going to expect you to hold a biblical worldview, even though I hold one. That's not my role. Read 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says, I'm not judging those outside the church. And so I can disagree with fundamental worldview differences agreeably, but I'm not going to impose on you a biblical worldview if you're not claiming to follow Jesus. Then you say, well, but wait a minute. If, if I call them by a different name uh, and I respect that name and that identity, I'm, aff- I'm affirming a behavior I disagree with. Let me just ask you, what are you actually affirming? Here's what I want to suggest. And, and this, you, I'm asking you to discuss in your group because the ethic of following in the way of Jesus, man, that's just for all of us. But here's how I would apply this. I'm not affirming uh, them doing something that's different than a biblical worldview. Here's what I am affirming. They have a new name. And I'm respecting their decision about their life. As a Jesus follower, I'm, I'm not saying that that is a biblical worldview. I'm not saying that that is a worldview that I'm going to live in. I, I am saying that you've asked me to call you by this name, and I'm respecting that you've asked me to call you something, and I'm, I'm going to respect that. Now, if they ask you to transition or imply that everyone should, that's a different story, but that's not what anyone's asking. They're not asking that. They're, they're making a life change, and they're asking you to be kind and respectful. So you're not agreeing with them that this is healthy or good. You're simply being respectful and you're opening a pathway to conversation, to listen, to hear more, to care, to befriend. And, and that, you say like, whoa, I just don't see it that way. Okay. Um, next week, we're going to talk about how we have disagreements in the church. <laughs> we literally are. Because uh, you may say, well, I would apply this differently. And I'm going to say, okay, but let me just ask you this. If you cannot respect their decision and honor a small request, how are they ever going to hear about the love of God and mercy found in Jesus? If, if them not holding a biblical worldview is the barrier, which by the way, the Samaritan woman was, was not living out the biblical worldview, Zacchaeus was not living out the biblical worldview, and Jesus seems to eat with them. So if they're following Jesus, here's all I want to say, and we're going to respond in worship. I would invite them to a longer conversation about God's vision for gender and relationships and marriage, and I'm, I'm addressing it differently because I want to hear how they're living into God's vision and mission for their life, and if it's clear, and if they're working towards that, or they're jettisoning it. And you're saying, Jose, well, what is God's <laughs> next week? Like, literally, I, I can't do it all in one week, so we're going to come back to this, uh, but we're, we're not going to pass judgment on those who do not follow Jesus. First Corinthians 5 says, God will correct God will, will 
will look at them. And by the way, God is not angry. God is filled with love, and I know this because he sent his son Jesus. And yes, of course, God cannot be in the presence of sin. But sexual immorality is one of the many issues that Paul is addressing in this letter. And by the way, that may not be your issue, but if you're greedy, apply all of these principles and you will justify yourself. You say, well, I'm only greedy. I didn't change this or I didn't change that. And it seems to me like on this list, there are many things that cause us to stumble. So I'm gonna humble myself. Remember what we said last week? We wanna approach all of this with hearts filled with love, with minds that are marked by humility, with souls that are saturated with compassion. Because in the end, this question is what should resonate. Am I going out of my way to love this person as Jesus would? And this is where we need to respond with hearts that are honest. And so I'm gonna invite the team to come and we're gonna respond. If you came in this morning with anything in your soul that is heavy, I invite you to receive prayer. As a church, we don't think that prayer is a waste of time but we actually know that when we call on his name, he's present. So if you came in and you just have a burden in your life, something going on at work, something going on in the family, something going on in your soul, the best thing that we, we could do is receive the love of God. Receive it. Uh, if something stirred within you this morning, before you get mad, um, why don't you reach out to the love of God in Jesus and pray about it? Am I going out of my way to love this person as Jesus would? That, to me, is the defining question. And we will pick up, because there's also, because what, happened, what about workplace? What about school? What about this? I'm, we're going to come back to this for part two of the answer to this question uh, in the weeks ahead. Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you for being kind and patient. And um, I look forward to hearing about your conversations or your community group this week, because they'll be helpful and healthy to discuss how to apply these things in everyday life. Lord, we love you. Now we just want to turn our hearts to you. Jesus, whatever you want, we want. Jesus, we submit our thoughts to your leadership. We submit our lives to your truth. God, we, we want to fully surrender who we are to your great love for us. Jesus, thank you that you died and rose again to bring us back to life. Now we want to represent you well. God, we want to represent you and your love well. And because of that, we need lots of adjustments. Holy Spirit of God, bring about the adjustments that I need in my soul today to follow Jesus and represent him to the people around me, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing. I invite you at any point in the sing. Make your way to the left and right, and we'll take communion in a few moments together.